What's going on? What's happening? How you guys doing? Welcome to a special edition of To The Top Talk. This one from the archives. This interview actually originally aired on my other podcast, airing it out last year, but I thought it'd be a great time to bring it back. Before we get to all of that, a little bit of housekeeping. Southern Miss fans, this Thursday, July the 20th, the Jackson All-Star Party will be at the Mississippi Trademark there in downtown Jackson. I will be there. Then the next night, Friday, July 21st, at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Biloxi. Had a great time there earlier this year. (laughs) It's going to be the Gulf Coast Beach Bash. Bumper Jay Bailey, Jason Bailey, is going to be there. So, you guys check it out. Go go see what all the coaches have to say. Go meet some of the players. Have a great time getting pumped up, focused, and motivated for football season. Also, on this week's episode of To The Top Talk, it is going to be the Laughs for Life edition. Our second annual Laughs for Life show, which will take place at the Sanger Theater in Hattiesburg on August 1st. There are still some tickets left, but I have a strong feeling this show is going to sell out. So my guests this week, first off, We've got, from the Blue Collar Comedy Tour, Bill Engvall. Had a great interview with Bill. Also, Laughs for Life founder Ken Oliver will be on the show as well. So tune in. That's going to be out on WMXI as well as WFOR in Hattiesburg Wednesday night from 6 to 7. If you miss it, check us out on the archives, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play. Also, a little more comedy news coming out of Hattiesburg. I've been sitting on this for a while. You may remember when I was talking about the tryouts coming up, but somebody from Hub City Comedy, somebody from Hattiesburg, Ben Compton, will be on season two of Kevin Hart's Heart of the City on Comedy Central. Amazing accomplishment. Super excited for Ben. Super excited for all the comics. There's three comics out of Jackson as well. Marvin Hunter, Rita Brent, and Merck B. Williams. Merck actually graduated from Southern Miss. I've known him probably longer than I've known the rest of them. But they're doing a Jackson, Mississippi episode of Kevin Hart's Heart of the City. That will come out later this fall. Be on the lookout for that. But very excited for some Mississippi comics to have a shot at Comedy Central time. All right. Let's get to it. So this is the interview from the archives. I wanted to bring it back. Season two of the critically acclaimed Last Chance You on Netflix will be coming out this Friday, July the 21st. Like I said earlier, this interview comes from last summer, right after season one premiered. She talks a little bit about some of the Southern Miss players, Alan Zay Staggers, Isaiah Jones, and more. So I hope you enjoy this interview with former athletic academic advisor from East Mississippi Community College, Brittany Wagner. All right, we are here with Brittany Wagner, Athletic Instructional Advisor at East Mississippi Community College. Most recently, you may have seen her on the Netflix docu-series, Last Chance You. How are you doing today, Brittany? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. Uh, you guys having some issues up there in scuba today? We, we are having a little bit of um, power outage. I um, think there's a storm coming in or something, but some lightning struck and our power is out and been out for about 30 minutes now. So I'm just sitting here in the dark. <laughs> Guy, I've, I know you got to be burning up. 
I'm okay right now. I'm I'm pretty cold natured, so I'm pretty good right now. But yeah, in a little bit, it'll probably get a little hot. Well, a lot has changed uh, within the past week for you. How has your life changed since Last Chance You has has been aired on Netflix? Yeah, I mean, it definitely has changed, and I don't know that it'll ever be the same. Um, which which is a good thing, I guess. But um, you know, just right now with the show, it hasn't even. Tonight, it'll obviously, or today, has been out a, a week. So just a week out from it airing, which I honestly expected it to take a little longer than this to really blow up. And it, and it, I mean, it blew up immediately. Um, but right now, it just the the social media, my social media is just exploding. Um, it's hard to keep up with. I keep it's hard to keep up with the numbers. People keep asking me, well, how many followers do you have now? And Every time I check, it's just hundreds more than I had the last time I checked. So um, my social media is exploding. And just the fan mail, I mean, which sounds so crazy that I even have fans, but <laughs> the fan mail that I've received, emails. Um, every day I come into work and I have hundreds more emails and, and you know, voicemails just from people that are have been inspired by the the show or what I do. I've, I've had a lot of college students, which I love, but a lot of college students that are emailing, asking, you know, saying that they really didn't know what they wanted to do and they were in college as an undecided major or maybe in a different major and that I've really inspired them to go into this line of um, this career path. So that's awesome. Um, also, a lot of maybe teachers that had kind of become uninspired with their job um, that have emailed me saying, you know, you've really inspired me to to put forth more effort in getting to know my students or really to work um, harder at, at being a good educator. And, um, you know, I had no idea. I, I really didn't have any idea any of this was going to happen, but I really never expected that. I never expected to inspire people, you know, it just in their everyday lives. I figured that, you know, there would be some, some high school college, some high school football players that maybe, you know, reached out to me to help them get eligible or things like that. But I, I never thought that it would reach as many people as it has and, and that people would feel as connected to me as they do. It's really an overwhelming experience. Well, and just by, you know, the observations off the show, it seems like that's kind of the person you are. That seems like what your goal in life is to to do. Yeah, it is, which I think is the part that's so hard for me to wrap my brain around is I'm just being myself and I'm I'm kind of being the same me that I've been, you know, all my life. And so I'm just kind of overwhelmed with, you know, that all of a sudden everyone cares. Um, you know, and, and another thing too with with East Mississippi is this this show spotlighted this class that this season that we just had and this this group of guys that just left. But you know, the thing that that I keep reminding myself of is this is year in and year out. I mean, there's a Ronald Ollie on every team we have, if if not more than one. I mean, there's a DJ Law. There's a you know th- these players are year in and year out, and these stories that that are behind these players. They happen every year. It's so what everyone is seeing now from this 2015 team, you know, I feel like I experienced this, that same thing every year that I'm here. It's just different faces. Um, so it's, it, you know, it's, it's neat to see everyone's reaction and to, to see everyone really gravitating towards the players and supporting them and loving them. 
you know, but I'm also reflecting and thinking of players in years past that were exactly the same, you know, and, and their stories were the same and their personalities were the same. And um, so it's just a neat thing to experience all of a sudden to have people all over the world interested in you, interested in, in what you do and, and what we do here as a whole at East Mississippi. Well, let's talk a little bit about you. You are from Clinton, Mississippi. <laughs> you're a little. You're from Clinton, Mississippi. What was life like growing up in Clinton? Life was great in Clinton. Um, you know, I had a great childhood. I have a great family. Um, I come from a very educated family. My dad is, has his PhD. He's a, a in psychology, and he was a professor at Mississippi College. He still teaches some classes there. He's retired, but still teaches some classes there. But he taught at Mississippi College. Um, my whole life, pretty much. So I was, I would walk from my junior high, um, was right next to Mississippi College. So I would walk to his office every day after school and um, just kind of grew up in that environment, hanging out in his office around his professor friends. And, um, you know, I knew that, knew what he did for a living. He also has a, did private practice counseling too. So a lot of psychology based in my upbringing, which I think definitely helps me in dealing with these players on a daily basis, I draw a lot from my dad and what he taught us growing up. And then I also call him a lot and say, I don't know how to handle this or, um, you know, what he give him situations of players and kind of get his diagnosis or, um, on what he thinks is going on really with that player. So he's helped me out a lot in my career. And then my mom, um, also is very educated, holds a master's degree. Um, and she was a special ed director for the Pearl school district my whole life pretty much so she dealt again with um you know learning disabilities and then special education students and for, for pearl school district and she was such a hard worker that's one thing i think my mom really instilled in me was just working hard and being able to do it all i mean she raised me and my sister um but she worked so hard she went back and got her master's degree when we were old like in, I think I was about in elementary or, or junior high school and my mom went back to school to get her master's degree. And I can remember her sitting at the kitchen table at night, you know, in there doing her graduate work. And she would leave the house every morning early because she had that commute to Pearl from Clinton. And just she was such a hard worker and such a strong, she is still such a strong woman. She's very independent. I think I get a lot of that aspect of my personality from her. Um so, yeah, I mean, life in Clinton was great. I loved Clinton, loved growing up there, loved Clinton High School. I'm, you know, still a big a Clinton arrow um, at heart. So just a Mississippi girl. Did you uh, did you have any interest in sports growing up? I didn't, which is so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we I've gotten that question a lot. Like, you don't have brothers, you know? I'm like, nope. <laughs> um and we, my dad is a football fan and my mom is a huge football fan. My mom's probably a bigger football fan than my dad is, but we watched football. Um, I remember it being on, um, on Saturdays on, on TV and my, they would watch NFL on Sundays. And, um, but it wasn't, I wasn't raised in like a football family. You know, my dad wasn't a coach. I didn't have brothers. We didn't go to games. Um, so I don't really, I, I played tennis on the high school tennis team. Um, and that was really it. I was a dancer. I sang, um, and then danced and, and I had really had no sports, you know, background at all. That's interesting. Well, you went off, yeah. the, <laughs> you went off to college, uh, 
went to Sanford and Mississippi State. Uh, tell us a little bit about your time in college. Yeah, I went to Sanford University. My sister went there. My sister's four years older than me, and she went to Sanford. And so when I was looking at colleges, I took a bunch of visits and went to a lot of different colleges. And I think I just went to Sanford. It was because it was familiar, and she had gone there, and I knew that, um, you know, she would be in Birmingham. She was going to live in Birmingham too. And so I think I was just, it felt safe. Um, so I went to Stanford and I was there for a year and a half. And then at that point, while I was at Stanford, I think is when I really decided that I wanted to do something in sports. Um, I was undecided major there and I started just kind of getting, I just started realizing, okay, I'm not happy. Like this isn't what I want to do. I don't want to be a teacher. I don't want to, you know, major in any of these things my friends are majoring in. And I would be so excited to go to the football games at Stanford and I would get there and people would be at the library instead of the game or that there would be hardly anybody in the stands. And it just, you know, I didn't like it. I wanted to be in an environment where the athletic program was, you know, um, was winning and important and a big thing and people were proud of it. And I started looking into, okay, where, what do I want to major in? Where do I want to go? Um, and I ran across the Mississippi state catalog and, um, just started flipping through it and I saw the sports communication major in the catalog and it was a new major that they had just created. It had just come out. And so I immediately looked at the curriculum and just kind of knew that that was what I wanted to do. So I transferred to Mississippi State in the middle of my sophomore year and started majoring in sports communication. And I was, I believe that I was the first female in that major may not that I may not have been the first, but I know I was one of the first. Um, females that were in that major and I was in there with mostly athletes mostly male athletes Matt Wyatt Wayne Madkin um, both were majoring in sports communication at the time with me and I loved it knew immediately that okay this is this is a good fit for me and originally my goal or dream was to be an ESPN sideline reporter which was most everyone's goal and dream at the t- that time um, but at that time was the big debate about women, allowing women to even do that job. And at that time, women weren't allowed in locker rooms. And um, there was a lot of discussion about should we allow women in locker rooms on the sideline of games. Um, and so I kind of wanted, I kind of had the aspiration to be someone that kind of broke that glass ceiling for women. And then um, it just didn't, didn't really pan out. I worked in the athletic department at Mississippi State, um, pretty much doing whatever they would let me do. I worked in the media relations department as a student, just a student assistant and liked it, you know, but I just kind of was feeling my way around, not real sure. And then a graduate assistantship came open in the athletic academic department. And I wanted to get my master's, but I didn't, I needed it to get paid for. And so I just went and asked, do you have any graduate assistantships? And they said, we have one last in the athletic academic office and I didn't even know what that was Uh, I mean I was like what is that and they kind of explained it to me and I was like okay well I'll I'll take it you know I just really wanted to get my school paid for and I was probably in there for a week and within within that week I knew that that was what I needed to be doing um I loved it from day one and um, so I ended up getting my master's and then um, went off, went to Jacksonville State University in Alabama for a little while and then came back. Mississippi State hired me full time 
And so I came back and I was at Mississippi State as a counselor there in their athletic academic department with Coach Kroom. So um, for about four years and loved it, um, wanted to move up, thought that I would just, you know, kind of move up the ladder. And my goal eventually was just to be the football count, the head football counselor at an SEC school. And then this little junior college, 45 minutes down the road, called. And I, um, they hired me away from Mississippi State. So here I am. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's, uh, and I'm sure it's been just an amazing ride, given all you, I mean, that, that is a job that is a very thankless job, I'm sure, as you very well know. So it's, it's cool to see you getting the, the respect you deserve from this. What I mean, you put a lot into this job, but you don't necessarily get a lot back all the time. Yeah, no, you definitely don't. And I think that there's a high turnover um, in this field. And I'm a member of our national association and a lot of our conferences are just in talk among other counselors. You know, that's one of the things that is a problem in this field is that there's burnout quick and, and there's a lot of turnover in which really in this job, there doesn't need to be a lot of turnover because you need to establish trust and, and stability and consistency among teams. And when you've got people coming in and out of this job, you know, it doesn't really create that, but people get burned out because it is, it is thankless and it takes so much energy and time and patience and just, you have to really mentally be able to handle it. Um, and, you know, for a lot of people and a lot of even that, you know, the, the pay is not great. I mean, you know, you've got counselors, you think about, you know, counselors, even at SEC schools that are that are working their tails off and they're making thirty thousand dollars a year. And so just you get burned out and, and, and people get out of the field and do other things or um, so to to be able to kind of be the spokes person, I guess, right now for this field is, is also something that I, I feel like is important. Um, you know, I'm so excited that college students are, are emailing me about wanting to do this because we need young people that are energetic and excited about this job. Um, and I think, you know, I, I've gotten some emails from some other academic counselors across the country who have, who have been very supportive and, you know, excited that their profession is finally being shown. Because we we do, the, you know, there are counselors all over the country that are doing exactly what I do every day, and nobody even knows that they exist. Um, and probably nobody is telling them thank you. The the you know the part about it is these these young people. You're you're working with eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old athletes, and you know you have the moments where you know that they appreciate you, but nobody is, nobody is coming in here and, you know, gushing with appreciation and, and thanking you on a daily basis or telling you good job or motivating you. Um, you know, it, it's just all has to come from within. And so usually that doesn't come either until you've been in the, in the profession long enough to have players that have gotten out and actually realize their success wouldn't have happened without people that have helped them. You know, and I think about my own life, you know, I didn't real, I didn't look back at my teachers that influenced me until I was out of college. I mean, I was out of college when it finally hit me. Wow. Who are the most influential people in my life? And some of those are teachers that I had at Clinton high school. And, you know, that was years later where 
I never thanked those people for the influence that they made in my life. And it's the same thing with athletes. I mean, they, they come through here, you work with them, you grow to love them. You, I'm their, you know, I feel like their mom and then they leave and they may not ha- get to the maturity level of realizing, Hey, she really changed the scope of my life. I need to thank her. That may not happen, you know, for 10 years. Right. Well, when you're not in the profession that long, you don't ever, you know, you don't ever really reap that moment of feeling like you've made a difference. Um, so I'm just now getting to the point where, you know, players are coming back and saying thank you. And of course, this has made that happen more maybe <laughs> than normal because lately I am getting a lot of players texting and calling and, um, which is an amazing feeling. I love hearing from them. I love knowing where they are and what they're doing. And, um, it's an amazing feeling just to be appreciated and thanked is, is always nice. How do you stay patient? I mean, that was the one thing I took away from, from the show was your patience was amazing. (laughs) You know, I, that's so funny that that's what everyone is um, saying, which I guess this is the way the universe works. Um, But that, if you had asked me before the show came out, what is, what is the one thing that you don't, that your weakness I would have said my patience. So it's so ironic that that is what everyone is kind of focused on. You know, on social media, I'm reading that over and over again, my patience. And I definitely think that that's an area that I've grown in as I've gotten older. Um, I've gained more patience. I think having a child helps that. Sure. <laughs> you know, it helps you to have more patience when you have children, small children. Um but, you know, I, and I don't think I realized the patience that I had until I watched the show. You know, watching the show, I would, I would, I would kind of sit there and go, wow, I didn't realize, you know, I, I didn't realize that I was that patient in that situation. So I think I was maybe a little harder on myself, um, you know, going in before I saw the show than I, than I should have been. But I don't know. I think. I think that part of my philosophy in this job is to allow people to be who they are. And I think that if you're going to allow people to be who they are and meet them where they're at, you have to have patience because not everyone is going to act like I want them to act. They're not all going to say what I want them to say. They're not all going to dress like I want them to dress or whatever. But, but if, you know, if they did that, then (laughs) they wouldn't be being who they are. And so I think when you, when you want people to be authentic and real and you want them to just be who they are and and you allow that to happen in the space that you're in, you have to be patient and you have to be taller, you know, tolerant and understanding and compassionate because you're, you're allowing them, you're wanting them to be vulnerable, you know, and you can't, you can't ask someone to be vulnerable and ask someone to be themselves and then get mad at them for it. So I ha- and I have to remind myself that on a daily basis. I have to remind myself that, you know what, I don't want everyone to be like me. You know, I don't want everyone to walk and talk and act like me because what a boring world that would be. So if I want people to be who they are, then I have I have to be tolerant of it. Um, and that's a lesson that I have to learn every day. You know, <laughs> something that I have to tell myself every day. You're in a unique situation. I mean, people outside of, you know, the world of football recruiting or outside of the state of Mississippi don't really understand how competitive 
junior college football has gotten in Mississippi. And and you've got these kids that may not qualify to to play at the Division One school they want to play at. And then you have the kids that may have had something happen, uh, maybe at a at a you know F, um, power five school that they they whether they mess up or they don't make the grade they have to come back. So you've got a unique situation that's that's not going to be something you're going to see everywhere in the country with the type of kids you have to mold and the type of kids you have to deal with. Yeah, I definitely think that um, it's it's highlighted here. It is reality here more than probably anywhere else in the country in that most of our football players are Division One talent. So you're not talking about a you know, a school where you've got 70 people on the team, but only five of them are division one talents or, you know, only five of them are there because of academic issues and everyone else is pretty, you know, pretty solid and pretty good. I mean, you're it's the complete opposite of that here. Almost all of our players are division one talents and there's a re there's something that's going on with them. That is a reason why they're not at that division one institution, whether it is grades whether it's, um, you know, um, character issue. Coaches recruited them out of high school, but they felt like there was a character issue there, so they didn't take a chance on them, or discipline issues. They've been in trouble or kicked out of somewhere or maybe just didn't go to the school. They went to a rural high school in Mississippi where coaches didn't recruit really out of it, or they didn't have a high school coach that really sent film and really shopped them the way that some coaches do, and so they just didn't get the look. So you have you have – we just have a, a vast majority of players with all of those things going on. Um, and then the amount of drop downs that we get, you know, is a, is a bigger number. And obviously all of those guys are here for, for one reason or another. So it is a very unique situation. And, and I don't know that you would find that at any other school in the country at any level. Um, you know, I, people ask me, you know, you left the SEC to come to junior college with the SEC working in the SEC harder and you, most people would think, you know, oh, being a football counselor at an SEC school, you know, would be tough, junior college, whatever, you know, it's JUCO. But I, my experience is the opposite of that. I mean, my experience was when you're at a school where there's a higher standard of for, for students to qualify in order to play, those students are usually at a higher academic level. Um, they're usually at a, a maturity level and and plus you have them for four years so you're not dealing with you're dealing with a smaller amount of freshmen and sophomores and and you do have that maturity level of juniors and seniors to help carry your team whereas here you're taking kids that come in at a lower level academically but you're asking them to reach a higher standard than you would have asked them to reach if they had just gone straight to division one and then you're dealing with freshmen and sophomores every year you know, you never, you never get a, you never get a class where a team where you're stacked with seniors, and so you only have ten freshmen to worry about, and you've got this great leadership of mature men as seniors. You don't ever get that. I mean, it's just a constant rollover of freshmen and sophomores who typically, you know, need more support and guidance than than anyone else. Um, so it's definitely a challenge, and it, it probably was the thing that it that took me a little bit to adjust to. Um, was to having, rather than having five guys that I really needed to have a thumb on, like when I was at Mississippi State, to having, you know, 50 guys that I needed to have a thumb on. It just, it takes a minute to adjust to that and to realize you have to really prioritize and really kind of have a philosophy on how 
how you're going to handle that. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, definitely a tough thing. You've had some other roles and responsibilities while at East Mississippi. So what's, what's more difficult? What's more of a challenge dealing with uh, being the academic advisor or being the cheerleader coach? <laughs> oh, um, it's, uh, <laughs> 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 you got me. No, um, I definitely being the academic advisor is tougher. You know, I mean, it's yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a tougher situation because the numbers are are just so much bigger than being a cheerleading coach. But um, being a cheerleading coach is not an easy thing either. And I'm certainly going to give props to every cheerleading coach in the country because, wow, <laughs> the minute that they they told me I didn't have to do it anymore, I was like, oh, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. It's a tough job and responsibility too. Well, let's talk a little bit about Last Chance You. How did this documentary even come about? We um, were spotlighted in a GQ article back in 2014. And the author of that article is kind of the narrator in the first two episodes of Last Chance You. His name is Drew Jabera. And he was here and he and kind of followed us around for a while writing the GQ article. And that article came out in 20, 2014. Um, it was about the Mississippi junior college system as a whole, but it basically featured us in, in the majority of the article. Chad Kelly was a big feature in that article. That was when he was playing here. And there's a company in LA called Condé Nast. Condé Nast owns GQ, but they, um, they basically look for stories that come out that can be made into something bigger than that story. And so, uh, an executive at Condé Nast, um, decided that this story was, was one of those things, you know, something that could be taken and made into something bigger. And so they brought some cameras down here. They filmed a little bit. They got some footage. They put together a package. And they shopped it to about 20 networks, I think, um, in a meeting in L.A. And then Netflix was the network that bought it. So, um, And then from that moment on, I mean, it was, it was go. Greg Whiteley is the executive producer. And he's um, his company is out of Los Angeles. Um, he's done several documentaries. One, the one that most people would recognize was the documentary named Mitt, which was a documentary about Mitt Romney during the, his presidential campaign. Very well done documentary as well. And Greg's, I think, forte is really to take stories like this and to create a human interest out of them, a human interest story out of them. So he's very, very good at at connecting the audience um, with the real life people that he is that he is documenting. And I think that shows in this documentary. I mean, he the editing, the the film work, all of it is just genius on his end. Did you think the documentary was an accurate, accurate portrayal of life at East Mississippi? I did, really. Um you know, I, I didn't know if I was going to think so, but I think I really did think that it was everything in it was pretty true to to how it is here. Um, you know, obviously, you're you're they had a ton of footage being here for as long as they were, so um, you know, not obviously there's editing involved, but I mean, it was real life stuff. I've been asked, was it scripted or was, were plot lines induced or anything like that? And no, I mean, none of that happened. There was there were no scripts. There was never even a time where they would suggest to me, you know, Hey, could you go get DJ and get in, you know, get on to him for missing class. I mean, none of that happened. I mean, everything, they just sat and filmed what was going on. Um, 
four, four or five months. I mean, so um, very well done. And I think very real. I think because of that, because they did just sit and wait for the stories to unfold on their own. Um, I think that's why it feels so authentic and real and why people really connect to it. Do you feel like the presence of cameras uh, altered the reality in any way? I don't think so. I mean, I, you know, I, d- I definitely don't think that you, we all knew they were here. I mean, you know, right, right. that whole, that old adage of, you know, oh, I forgot the camera was even there. I don't think and that wasn't true for me. I mean, I never forgot that there was a camera in my office, <laughs> but, but, you know, I think that we all really were ourselves. I mean, looking back, I think that, you know, all, what the Ronald Ollie that you saw on the TV is Ronald Ollie on a day to day basis. I mean, he, that he is a, his personality is that big. He is a big old goofball, just like he acted like in the show. And he is a lovable, sweet, sweet teddy bear, just like you saw in the show. So I don't think anybody really played anything up, um, you know, for, for TV. If anything, you know, there, there were players that before the cameras showed up were normally in my office all the time. And when the cameras got here, they would not come in here. You know, I would have to go out of my office and talk to them in the hallway, or we would have to turn the cameras off when they came in because they just didn't want to be on TV. Um, So if anything, you know, I think that it maybe prevented um, people from coming in here and hanging out or or coming in here and having conversations that they normally would have had because they didn't want, you know, it to be on national television. Did you feel like there was anything or anyone that was – portrayed unfairly not i don't know that i've i feel like john franklin i don't know that i feel like he was portrayed unfairly i just i feel like he kind of got a bad rap i think the fans of the show took him or some of the fans in the show took him in a little bit more of a negative way than he really is you know he even when i was watching it there were a couple times where i was kind of like ugh, you know with with his little one-liners and and things. And I I was worried, you know, how are people going to take this? And I think that some of that was editing. Like some of that was just, it just so happened that, you know, in that moment that he said it and and they got it and, and it was there. But I feel like too, there wasn't a very good explanation in the show of what a drop down athlete is. Right. And for your non-football fans, for the rest of the world, you know, who isn't a big, huge football fan, who doesn't know that, then I think, yes, then you're looking at him and you're thinking, wow, he's pretty cocky and arrogant. But for most, you know, for for the people that are avid football fans and understand what the role of a drop-down athlete, then you kind of get it, you know. Um, I don't think that John Franklin is – a cocky, arrogant, disrespectful kid. Is he confident? Yes. Um, does he have his own opinions and is he strong-minded? Yes. But he, I never felt like he was disrespecting me. I never felt like he was not a team player. Um, he was very much a team player. The The players rallied behind him. They loved him. Um, and there were a lot of scenes that didn't, that didn't necessarily make it in the show or that you don't really realize he's sitting in the room too because he's not saying anything. But when he, after that Colin game, when we lost and then he kind of wasn't playing, he was kind of sitting the bench or backing up Wyatt. 
he was in, he, there were some scenes where he was in my office, but he had his hood over his head and he wasn't saying a word because, you know, there was a moment, there were moments where he was down. I mean, he was down and I think second guessing, did he make a mistake? You know, should he have stayed at Florida State? Like, because that's a tough position for a drop down athlete to be in when you've left the school that recruited you in a big school, at, you know, in Florida State. And you've gone out on a limb to go to this junior college and you expect to be like Chad Kelly. I mean, you expect to come in and you expect to play every down. You expect to contribute. You expect to win and you expect to get recruited, recruited and move on. But at a place like this, you expect your teammates to get recruited and move on as well. Um, and then he comes in and like none of that happens. I mean, you know, he's not he's in a battle with a with a high school recruit that we recruited. He's backing him up at one point he you know I mean it's just like nothing is going the way that it would normally go for a drop down athlete and it, and it's and it's not because he's doing anything wrong you know I mean he's not getting in trouble he's not I mean he's doing everything he's supposed to be doing things just aren't going the way that they normally go and I mean I think that w there were some tough tough moments for him to be in that situation and I don't know that that was really portrayed you know, most of the thing, most of the times that you saw John on the screen, he was, you know, giving one-liners about how he, what he was about to go do or how good he was or, um, and, and there, you know, there was a lot of down moments for John Franklin. One of the more intriguing characters in the, in the series, um, uh, I really enjoyed watching the transformation of DJ law to see him come along and it seemed like in the end there maybe you can speak more on this but he seemed like he was taking things a little more seriously there at the end yeah I mean he he definitely started to come along <laughs> um you know I don't feel like he ever really got it um in this in the fall um you know he would give me he would give me moments or, or where I would think like okay I finally reached you know I finally reached him I finally he finally bought in and then, you know, two days later he would miss class or something would happen and it would be a setback. So he, he transformed in some ways, but I don't know that he transformed in the way that I wanted him to or, or fast enough, I guess, to um, make it count. He came back in the spring and went to school and took classes and kind of started to come around then, but he would do the same thing again. It was like a push and pull with him, even in the spring semester. He is currently taking, he has been taking classes all summer. And I will say that I think that um, when the show came out, he's been different this summer. He has really worked hard this summer and done everything I've asked him to do this summer. But I think him watching himself on the show really, really um, helped him immensely. Good. I think he realized in watching his show how how much everyone was trying to help him and how frustrating that was. Um, but he is finishing up. He's in his last class right now, and he should be finished in a couple of weeks with that class. And then he is set, if he passes that class, to report to UAB. Oh, that's terrific. Well, there's another character. I think you should, guys, I know you get spinoff requests all the time, but I would love to watch a show with just the Lion Man. Like, that guy... It looks like so much fun to be around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know him personally, 
Um, I, I mean, I've known who he is. Obviously, you can't help but notice him at a game. And I always just called him our super fan. Yeah. Um, but I don't know him personally. So I was really excited to see that part of the show to kind of get to know him on a more personal level. And I love how, you know, I mean, he's such a great fan and so excited and just passionate about East Mississippi football. And that I love that. I love the hair. I love the hair. Oh, yeah. What was it like? <laughs> what What is it like working with head coach Buddy Stevens? We, you know, Buddy and I, we have a love-hate relationship, <laughs> as as most, um, as probably most coaches and, and counselors have. You know, I think that anytime you have two people, Buddy is very passionate about coaching football and, and about, you know, these young men that he's coaching, and I think that's good. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why he is a successful coach is because of his passion for what he does. And I am very passionate about what I do, which I also think is one of the reasons for my success. So anytime you put two passionate people in a room and, you know, we our, our priorities and goals and objectives are just a little bit different. I mean, I want to win, but I want to graduate players and I want them to go to class and, you know, and I want to put the student before the athlete and he wants them to go to class and he wants them to do what they're supposed to do, but he wants to win, <laughs> you know, and I right. think sometimes he wants to put the athlete before the student and he, and that's okay. You know, that's, I totally understand that as from a coach's perspective. So I think sometimes, you know, sometimes do we butt heads a little bit on how we want to do something? Yes. But are we on the same page on what we want to do? Yes. Um, you know, Coach Stevens wants to graduate players. He wants them to do what they're supposed to do. He wants them to go to class. I think we just sometimes butt heads on how we want it done. Um, but, you know, the, it, interesting that there wasn't ever a scene in the show where we were in the same room. There were no, there was no footage of like the two of us together. And I've had some people ask me about that. And honestly, I just think that was coincidence. I don't, I mean, it, we get along great and like we have a great relationship. I don't, I think it was just coincidence that we weren't ever in the same situation. Now I will say in the, during the season, um, I try to handle things with assistant coaches and not go through him. So I only will go to him in the season if it's a major, you know, a major issue that I can't get resolved with an assistant coach. But I typically just go through the assistant coaches to get what I need done on a daily basis. How? frustrating is it to you when you see players where they have opportunities presented to them and they don't take them because they might not think they may think they're too good to go to this school but you know it's the opportunity to get a free education yeah um I mean it's frustrating to me it's frustrating to me but I think the thing that um really gets me more is I don't with some of the players I don't know what plan b will be and so, you know, with, with Wyatt, it was frustrating to me that Wyatt was rejecting some lower offers because I, I, I wanted him to play, you know, I wanted him to move on and play football at the next level. But I knew that Wyatt Roberts was going to be okay no matter what he did. I mean, I, I know why I knew, I know that Wyatt Roberts is going to be successful, whatever he chooses to do with his life. So if he doesn't want to play football, then you know what, I, I wish I wish that you would think about it a little bit harder, but okay, because you're going to be just fine. With a not, Ronald Ollie, it's a different kind of frustration because it's scary to me. You know, what you're turning down 
you're turning down a roof over your head. You're turning down food. You're turning down an education. You're turning down a potential job in your future. I mean, you're, it's not for me, for, for a student like Ronald Alley, it's, it has nothing to do with you playing football. (laughs) It has everything to do with you figuring out a way to just make it through the next four years, you know, to, to, and I was, I was, I was very frustrated with him because it, and, and that frustration was out of fear, I think of me thinking in my, you know, to myself, if he doesn't take a football scholarship and take an opportunity, I don't know where he's going to go, you know, or what, what's going to happen to him. And the same for DJ law, you know, I didn't know. And I know, you know, being from where DJ is from, I mean, I knew that, okay, if DJ doesn't, doesn't get something, he's going to go back to Florida and I don't know what's going to happen to him when he goes back to Florida. Um, With Ollie, you know, same thing. Like, I don't even know where he's going to go. And that is the frustrating part to me is that I think sometimes as, as happens with adults too, you know, our egos get in our way and we don't make the best decision for us long-term because, because our feelings are hurt short term. And I wanted Ollie to see that, you know, your feelings are hurt today, but this is a decision that's going to affect you. 10 years from now. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's hard for an 18, 19 year old to get that, to see the bigger picture at that moment. They're just mad because, you know, he knew if he had had three more games, he'd be playing in the SEC and, and he was just mad about that. And so he was, you know, taking his frustrations out on Southeast Missouri. And, um, I, I just <laughs> wanted him so badly to just stop and think and, and react in a different way. Selfishly, I'm going to ask you about two other players. I'm a big Southern Miss guy. I've got the two, the top talk podcast for any of the listeners that haven't listened to it before, but um, tell us a little bit about Isaiah Jones and Ellen Zay Staggers. Yeah. Um, I mean, Ellen Zay was here for two years. He was a high school kid that came in great kid, kind of shy and quiet. Um, you know, you, from the show, like he's in the background a couple of times, but like he wasn't a guy, he's not a spotlight guy, doesn't really want, you know, attention and the spotlight on him. He's a playmaker, um, great, you know, great athlete, but just not, just not a big spotlight guy, super quiet, super respectful, um, super respectful individual, always very respectful to me. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Always did everything I told him to do. Um, you can tell, I don't believe I've ever met his, his, um, family, but I mean, you can tell that he was definitely raised to, to respect people. Um, great academically, smart, smart student did well here academically. Um, had, you know, I had to help him there at the end a little bit, just kind of stay on him and on the, in, in the end a little bit, got a little, you know, they get a little antsy that they're about to leave. And so sometimes the academics is the first thing that they kind of let go a little bit, but, um, didn't really have to stay on him at all. I mean, he went to class, did what he was supposed to do. Um, didn't really have to do much for Alan Zay. Super excited for him to be at Southern. Um, Isaiah was a little different story. He's a transfer from Florida state, um, came in and needed some academic work, a lot of academic work in order to get him out and get him recruited. Um, 
you know, and I don't, I wasn't that close with him. He never really, he was, he's a sweet kid, kind of quiet and shy. Didn't really buy in to me, I don't think, and like what I was trying to do. He just wanted to be left alone. So I had a little bit harder time getting him to do what he was supposed to do. He was one that I, I was texting and calling a lot. Um, in the end, I think he, he, he figured it out, got it together, had to take a couple of classes um, in order to get eligible. Um, but I think he's doing well at Southern. I talked to a coach the other day from Southern, and I, I believe that he's doing well even you know in the classroom as well at Southern right now. So he's a good kid. He's a sweet kid. He's a great athlete. Um, you know, he just didn't quite, wasn't quite buying into what I was trying to do. <laughs> Well, what's next for Miss Wagner? What uh, you obviously have gotten a lot of attention. You've, uh, I mean, if people would assume that you'd be presented other opportunities. What's what's upcoming for Miss Wagner now? You know, honestly, I don't really know. I'm just trying to take one day at a time. And uh, right now, everything is so overwhelming. We just with the publicity for the show, and I'm just trying to do that. And then we've got our football players actually moved in today, and they have summer workouts and two days and all that. And um. Then we start school the 15th of August. So right now, that's just my focus is, you know, um, enjoying the success of this documentary and just trying to keep my head above water with that and then getting ready for the guys to come back and for school to start in the fall. And I'm just kind of going to take it from there and see what happens. Um, You know, it's overwhelming. and, And I think there's a lot of opportunities out there. And I definitely want to um, you know, make the best of this moment and do what I can to continue to inspire people all over the world. So we'll just kind of see what happens. Well, Brittany, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a treat talking to you. I really enjoyed your insights and perspectives. And uh, hey, continued success with the documentary and best of luck to the Lions in 2016. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you having me.